Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church Podcast. This episode is a sermon by Senior Pastor Marvin Lindsay, based on Philippians chapter 1 and 2. He explains how Christ reduced himself to nothing to give us everything. When Christians adopt the mindset of Christ, the church receives the gift of unity. Our church is located in downtown Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit our website, www.fpccolumbia.org. Philippians is one of Paul's warmest and friendliest letters. Paul clearly has a great deal of love and admiration for this congregation that he founded. In the letter, Paul praises God for a very generous gift that the Philippians have shared with him during his time in custody. And he also praises God for the Philippians' willingness to uh, cooperate with other Christian communities in order to minister to the needs of the saints throughout the world. In the first chapter of the letter, he writes that he knows that they're going to persevere in their faith because they are near and dear to his heart. But that said, the church in Philippi was not a perfect congregation. Uh, No congregation is. In fact, I've heard people say that if you ever find a perfect congregation, you shouldn't join it because then it won't be a perfect congregation anymore. Um, That's good uh, advice to remember, I think. Uh, In the scripture reading that we heard just a few minutes ago, Paul repeatedly urges the Philippians to be like-minded, to be in agreement with each other. And if you have to urge agreement and like-mindedness, then there's an indication right there that there's a lack of agreement and a lack of like-mindedness within the congregation. And sure enough, you find evidence of that elsewhere in the letter. Uh, In chapter 4, Paul urges two women, a woman named Yodia and a woman named Syntyche, uh, who seem to have some sort of uh, personal falling out to be reconciled to each other, to put away their differences and to be in agreement with each other. And he urges the congregation to help them in this uh, ministry of peacemaking. Uh, And there's a disagreement between the Philippians and their pagan neighbors. It appears as though uh, this community of Christians is experiencing some pressure from people around them who do not uh, have not put their trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. And maybe the Philippians are responding to this pressure uh, in different ways, and that may be causing some tensions within the community, as well as tension between the community itself and its wider community. And then finally, there are boundary issues that the Philippians were arguing about. Some of the members of the congregation were Jews who had come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah of the Jews. Some of the members of the congregation were Gentiles, were non-Jews, who had taken an interest in uh, the Jewish faith and had come to believe that Jesus was Lord and Savior. But the question is, how do you put these two groups of people together? Uh, If you are worshiping and following the Jewish Messiah, do you need to become Jewish? Do you need to be circumcised if you're a man? Do you need to follow the laws of Moses and abstain from certain foods? Now, to this last question, Paul offers an unambiguous answer. The Messiah of the Jews is the Savior of the entire world. And as such, anybody can come to Christ from whatever culture, whatever nationality, whatever language they may happen to speak. The church for Paul isn't isn't defined by its boundaries. It's not as though Christians are people who do this and non-Christians are people who don't do this. For Paul, the church is marked by its center. Christ is the center of gravity, and people fall into orbit around Christ from a variety of locations. 
but it is that center, Jesus Christ, that defines the church, not any arbitrarily imposed boundary. But for other issues and for other disagreements, Paul doesn't offer so much the right answer as he offers a a way of going about resolving conflicts, a way of living together in peace and harmony with people with whom you might have disagreements with. And what Paul says is that if there's any Christian compassion in the church, if there is the slightest hint of mutual concern and mutual love, if there is the least amount of hope in Christ to come and make all things new, then that's all you need. That's the raw material that you need to build up into a congregation that is of the same mind, a congregation that is united, a congregation that is moving in the same direction. So if you've got just one text message going in a congregation, I heard about your diagnosis, I hope you're doing well. That's all you need to build on. If there's just one get well soon card that's put in the mail from one member of the church to another, that's all you need to build a congregation that is united and that is harmonious. And out of that raw material of uh, mutual encouragement, mutual support, mutual Christian love and caring, we can develop the mindset of Christ with the help and the grace of Christ. It was that mindset that the Philippians and all congregations need to embrace in order to resolve conflicts. But that mindset of Christ is not the mindset that we always exemplify. It's not the way that we always think. And because of that, sometimes conflicts can become heated and disagreements can become disagreeable. Sometimes instead of thinking the thoughts of Christ, we think about what we are owed because of who we are. I deserve to prevail in this conflict because I've been a member of this church for 40, 50 years, or my people founded this church and I need to get my way. Or I ought to call the shots around here because I give a considerable sum to the budget of the church and I'm owed a certain amount of deference for that. Or people need to listen to me. People need to agree with me. I need to get my way because on August 25th, 1977, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior and ain't none of you accepted Christ the way I accepted him and you need to listen to me. Or I need to get my way because I'm right. I'm right. You're wrong. Or I need to get my way because I'm the minister. That's another one. When we think about what we're owed, instead of thinking the mindset of Christ, divisions become divisive, arguments get out of hand, and positions become entrenched. And, you know, maybe you are owed something by other people. If you are owed something by other people, think about how much more the Son of God through whom God the Father created all things, is owed. God created all things through the Son, things the web telescope can see and things that the web telescope can't even see, to, uh, to paraphrase the Nicene Creed. And yet this one who is owed everything gave it all up, gave up all his perks and privileges and claims to authority and power and made himself into nothing on the cross. He made himself into nothing on the cross so that we might gain and receive all things. 
Unlike the Son of God, none of us have a claim on anything from God. We are sinners. Uh, As John said in his call to confession, all of us are sinners, and the least amount of sin is worthy of the highest condemnation because we have failed to obey a God who is holy and who is almighty and who is perfect in love and in power. And yet we whom God owes nothing, God makes nothing of himself in order to give us all things. And if we as a body can do as Christ did, if we can make of ourselves nothing and make of our rights and our perks and our privileges nothing, then we can begin to think in the way that Christ thought. We can begin to walk in the way that Christ walked. And divisions don't become divisive. And disagreements don't become entrenched and bitter disputes. And that's what Paul wants to see in Philippi. And I think that uh, if he's looking down on us from heaven, that's what Paul wants to see for First Presbyterian Church and every congregation in the world in the year 2022. Paul wants to see these little embers of mutual love and compassion uh, light into a flame of like-mindedness, thinking the thoughts of Christ, making ourselves little so that God can become great among us and so that God's great gifts of eternal life and love can be shared among us. Now, speaking of great gifts, we received in the church office a great gift in the last month or so. This came into the mail to us, the centennial celebration of the founding of the First Presbyterian Church. A woman named Christy Pfeiffer found this book, which was published on the, uh, in, in 1928, on the occasion of our 100th anniversary, found it in a box of old sheet music that she bought at an estate sale in Arkansas. And she read it, and she thought it was interesting, and so she mailed it to the church. And after we scan this, this is going to go into uh, the, um, what do you call it, that display case of historical artifacts that's next to the pictures of the old ministers. And uh, I guess maybe I'll get a picture on there one day. I don't know. Uh, And the elevator uh, in the mezzanine. And it's a fascinating story. Well, there are various addresses included in here, but also um, a Missouri State Supreme Court justice, his name was North Todd Gentry, wrote a history of the church, the history of the church's first hundred years. And I want to share a little bit of that history with you because it has to do a little bit with Paul's theme in the letter to the Philippians about how uh, we achieve like-mindedness and how we think the, the, after the thoughts of Christ because he spends a good bit of time talking about the church's experience during the Civil War. Now, Missouri, as you know, was a border state. That means it was a slave state that didn't leave the Union during the Civil War. And we know that in First Presbyterian Church, there were a variety of opinions about slavery and abolition and maintaining or dividing the Union. We know that there were members of First Presbyterian Church who owned slaves. And we also know that enslaved people were on the membership roll at First Presbyterian Church. This is uh, really clear in the session minutes. At the same time, we know that once the war broke out, the church bell of First Presbyterian Church was the bell that would be rung to warn the residents of Columbia that Confederate bushwhackers were operating in the area. So we know that the church was a divided church over the issues of slavery and maintaining the Union. And uh, 
Judge uh, Gentry writes about these divisions with a great deal of dry wit. Listen, listen to this passage from uh, page 22 in here. This is great stuff. Well, I'm a history nerd, so I think it's great. You're going to have to nerd out with me for a little bit. From 1850 to 1860, the Columbia Presbyterian Church suffered from the bitter political and religious debates, as did other churches. Sometimes a religious debate kept the members of one church from dividing on politics. So to that extent, we are indebted to religious debates. During those years, political orators visited Columbia and more than once trouble threatened to break out in this church. Fortunately, the cooler heads prevented open rupture, though many times the feeling on both sides was not what it should have been. Now, uh, he goes on a, a couple of pages over. Again, this is a great passage. During the stormy times of 1861, the church was without a minister. And in their efforts to hold congregational meetings, the difference between the members was apparent. One after another of the elders tendered his resignation, and each one gave the same reason, which was that he believed he, quote, was not acceptable to members of the church, end quote. But these resignations were not accepted, and matters moved along semi-peaceably. About the only thing that the officers and members could agree on was to extend the thanks of the church to the Ladies' Society for donating $50 to make certain church repairs. Thank God for the Presbyterian women. Where would we be without them? So, just a little free advice before my departure. John resources our property team, so maybe you could share the, the, the repair list with the PW. Just see what happens. Then in 1864, Reverend J.R. Findlay and Elder Isaac Tate were appointed a committee to visit this church, inquire into conditions, and redress any grievances. Accordingly, public notice was given that anyone considering himself or herself aggrieved should meet this commission on a certain day at 10 o'clock a.m. But Columbia Presbyterians, while willing to fight amongst themselves, were too proud and too ashamed to admit to others that they had any family differences, so no one appeared to make complaint of the grievances committed. What happens at first pres stays at first pres. And he goes on, this, this is my favorite, just following the Civil War, Reverend David Coulter was pastor. His picture is beside the elevator. But his pastorate became unpopular owing to the fact that he married a member of the congregation and delivered sermons and lectures in which he denounced intemperance, gambling, and war. Don't you hate it when the minister quits preaching and goes to meddling? Marvin, just tell me God loves me, but don't tell me I have to delete my DraftKings app on my phone. Reverend Coulter, I don't know about the marrying the congregation member. That's, I think that's a boundary violation in 2022. But, uh, but he was right about gambling. It's a black hole. So God does love you, and you should delete your uh, DraftKings app on your phone. So now, how did they get out of this cycle of conflict? So uh, Mr. Gentry tells us that story. He says... <laughs> Reverend Benjamin Y. George was pastor of this church from 1867 to 1870, coming here at a time when nearly everyone was in an ugly mood. It's the ugly mood. 
But Mr. George proved himself to be the right man, for he had nothing to say about the war, did not fight the battles over again, and often said he wished he could forget all about it. He had a great deal to say about the need of church work and the need of everyone showing a proper Christian spirit toward members of this church and members of other churches. Mr. George suggested having some officer meetings every two weeks in the home of different officers. And in this way, the men of the church were brought together. He started a small group ministry. Uh, in 18, oh, and this is good too. In 1867, the Columbia Branch Railroad was constructed to Centralia. And this road extended through the farm of Edward Henry, one of the deacons of the church. Knowing the fondness of all persons for a square meal and an outing and the desire of all to take a ride on a train of cars, they being new to most everyone, Mr. George arranged to have a Presbyterian picnic in the beautiful wood pasture of Mr. Henry. After the ladies of the church got together in the matter of refreshment, and after the men of the church had satisfied their appetites, <laughs> so funny to... <laughs> Mr. George made one of his lovable talks, told of how much good had been and could be accomplished by this church, and had all present to rise, join hands, and sing, Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. And everything got back on track. So how did we do a century ago? Okay. I think we kind of muddled through this time of national strife and congregational strife. Probably, you know, we just kind of muddled through as best we could. And it didn't get any better until somebody came along and told them, you don't have to keep fighting about the same thing you've been fighting about over and over. You can stop fighting and move on. That plus a, a kind of a strange fondness for trains and picnics seemed to help people move on and turn the page. Now, the last few years have not been a picnic, either for this congregation or for many congregations in our society. Uh, our congregation has made an important decision about ordination standards and human sexuality. Our congregation has been uh, struggling and muddling through a global pandemic. Uh, we have tried to, with some degree of success or failure, speak the truth in love in a time of political violence and civil strife. I think we're muddling through. But I think that we're called to do better than just muddle through. Whether it's the First Presbyterian Church of 1865 or the First Presbyterian Church of 2022. And in fact, we are equipped to do better than muddle through. We're not just called to muddle through. We are given the grace that we need to do more than muddle through. In a few moments, we're going to come to this table. And we're going to eat the bread. And we're going to drink the cup. And in that moment of taste and touch, we encounter that very moment where the one who is owed everything made nothing of himself so that he might give us, we whom God owes nothing, everything. So when we come to this table, bring your resentments, bring your fears, bring your ambitions, bring your need to prevail. And let the Christ who died on the cross nail all these things to the cross so that he can fill you with something more, not just a need to be right or a need to get our way, but a need and a desire 
to give ourselves away in Christian love and in Christian humility. Paul writes to the Philippians, most important, live your life in a manner worthy of Christ's gospel. Do this whether I come and see you or I'm absent and hear about you. Now, after August 18th, I will not be coming and seeing you here in this building unless my successor invites me to come and to worship with you. That's what Dick Ramsey did when he left, and that's what I'm going to do. Uh, It's the Presbytery policy, it's the rules, and it's for the good of the church, and it's for the good of my successor, because you need to build a new relationship with the person that comes after me. But there is such a thing as a Presbyterian grapevine, and it's rather efficient. And so what I hope to hear from you and about you is what Paul hoped to hear about this congregation that he loved so much in Philippi. That you're standing firm, that you're united in one spirit and mind as you struggle to remain faithful together in the gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this podcast inspirational, please share it with your family and friends. We also invite you to support the mission of First Presbyterian Church with a financial gift. Go to www.fpccolumbia.org and click on the gift tab. Your offering will feed the hungry and feed hungry hearts with the good news of Jesus Christ. Peace be with you.